everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's new podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. Today we're talking terrorism with sociology professor Charles Kurzman. So for years you've been studying Islam and radical movements. How did you get into this specialty? What interests you in the first place to think that this was something that you wanted to study? I've always been interested in international studies and global affairs, both uh, current affairs and historically. I was in high school when the Iranian Revolution took place and uh, thought it was fascinating and troubling. And part of my goal in college was to see if I could learn some more about that part of the world. So I started taking Persian and I wrote my senior thesis in college on the Iranian Revolution and then continued in graduate school. And that ended up being my first book, The Unthinkable Revolution in Iran, exploring how the millions of ordinary Iranians went from tolerating a dictator who seemed inevitable, entrenched in his rule, to going out into massive demonstrations, some of the world's largest protest movements, protest events ever, and overthrew this entrenched figure. So with that specialty in Islamic revolution, the study of Islamic revolution, uh, moved on to study liberal, uh, pro-democracy Islamic movements, as well as radical and other revolutionary movements, and then turned to the topic that so many of us are, are obsessed with and worry about so much, which is Islamic terrorism. And here in the United States, particularly since 9-11, we've been really focused on terrorism and preventing it and fighting it around the world. Where do you see terrorism really sitting in the American consciousness? Yeah, terrorism looms really large in the American psyche these days. That's a product not just of 9-11, but of all these other incidents, both by Muslims and non-Muslims, where it seems that people occasionally take it into their head to engage in violence against civilians. It's been terrible. Surveys suggest that the number of people who actually fear that they or their family might be targeted might suffer an act of terrorist violence has gone up in recent years after going down for many years as the the memories of 9-11 faded. But that doesn't mean that the threat itself has gone up. We've seen also anti-Islamic attitudes go up in recent years, even as the the, the actual number of Muslims engaged in, in violent extremism has remained really low. I think there's been a disconnect So then you're really trying to fix that disconnect in some of the research you're doing right now, where you're looking at the cases of Muslim Americans who actually did leave the United States to join a militant group. So you have this extensive spreadsheet basically following every case and what's happened in those cases. How do you compile this list and what have you seen there? So I I, uh, started this list of Muslim American terrorism cases uh, back in, in 2010. We had a project, a grant from the National Institute of Justice to look at what are Muslims doing to help prevent radicalization. And as part of that project, we did lots of interviews around the country. Uh, We wanted to know what's the scale of the problem we're talking about. And it turned out nobody had really created a comprehensive list of the number of cases. And so we started to look through court cases, court documents, media coverage, government reports, anything we could find that would describe these cases. It turned out there were far fewer than we thought we would find. We came up with a number that calculates as to just over 20 individuals a year who are prosecuted or who engage in plots of violence of this sort. 
So I've continued every year now doing an update to that. I do web searches. I have uh, undergraduate and graduate research assistants scouring the web with me, looking for media reports. Again, there are government documents occasionally released, tallies from the Department of Justice and other agencies. We uh, put all those together. We try to find details about the individuals themselves. Using all this information that you've compiled throughout the years, is it possible to create a description for the kind of person who might leave the United States to join a militant group? Or is it just too hard to narrow down a description of this? The attempt to profile Islamic extremists, violent plotters, has failed. There's been now, since 9-11, almost 15 years of experience trying to figure out who's going to be the next ticking time bomb. It just doesn't work. There's been huge array of individuals involved, very small numbers within each of these demographic categories. So, for example, uh, converts to Islam. Yeah, there's some, really not many, not enough to cast aspersions on all converts. Young Muslims, young Muslims who are suddenly becoming devout. Well, a lot of people find their faith in young adulthood. It's not really a sign that you're about to engage in a, a violent plot. The problem here is that these demographic and other sorts of indicators have way too many false positives, as they say in the medical realm. That is, people who seem to have this risk factor but then don't end up engaging in any of the, the, the negative behaviors. It's not helpful to cast such a wide net with these kinds of profiles. That said, there, you know, the, the folks who are trying to go over to join militants uh, in Syria and elsewhere tend to be young. That is, they tend to be teenagers or, or in their early to mid-20s. They tend to be male, although there are some women who've tried to go as well. They tend to be working class and not particularly well-educated, although there are exceptions to that. The, the demographics, though, don't really help us. There's too many people who meet those criteria and yet have done nothing wrong and oughtn't to be on any watch list. Is it possible to see the incentive or the draw for people you know, why do people think it's a good idea to leave home in the United States to join a militant group and perform violent acts? So we're talking about several dozen folks who've actually gone, another approximately 80 who've been arrested trying to go. So we're talking about 100 people, maybe a little over 100 people. Out of a population of more than 3 million Muslims, it's hard to say what makes 100 people do anything, right? So there are folks who are attracted to the IS, self-proclaimed Islamic State, just because they're killing people. Like the attraction is some sort of love of death. But there are all sorts of violent people with and without ideologies, with and without religions, who engage in these acts. If we ask, well, what caused 14,000 people to murder somebody last year? Well, there's a huge array of motivations, of course. And that's ultimately a much larger problem than this hundred or so number of individuals who wanted to leave the United States. Most of them were not engaging in violence here in the U.S. So we, could, we, can, we, we know a fair bit about some of these cases because they've left social media trails. We see them with these Twitter accounts and public Facebook profiles getting more and more involved in the echo chamber of Islamic revolutionary ideology drawn more and more to it. Sometimes they're quite troubled. Some of them seem to be mentally ill. 
drawn by the violence, drawn by the sense of purity. But still, let's keep in mind that these are really small numbers, fortunately, in, 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 taken overall. So you've been at this project for a couple years now. What are some of your findings? What are you seeing about the number of people who are leaving the United States and becoming terrorists? We are so fortunate that these Islamic revolutionaries are so unsuccessful in recruiting followers that they've been trying now for, for more than a decade to get Muslims in the United States, Muslims throughout Europe, Muslims around the world to join their movement, to engage in revolutions, engage in violence. And they have not been all that successful. They're always complaining about it too, which is interesting. Uh, that's good news for, for the rest of us, I think. Uh, and also ought to be uh, taken into account when we try to calibrate our response to terrorism. You know, what is the scale of the threat? Uh, in some countries, these civil war zones like Syria, it's, it's a massive threat. They've torn apart the entire country. But here in the United States, we just haven't seen evidence of a large-scale threat. It's nowhere near the leading cause of threats to public safety in the United States. It hasn't been, even when we've had horrible incidents of violence. Of course, 9-11 leading the list. Other far smaller scale incidents of violence, too. Even in Europe as well, where we've seen horrible attacks in Paris and in Brussels and elsewhere. There's far more other violence going on. It's been relatively rare, fortunately. Still, takes only a few people to cause mass casualties, as we've seen. But it isn't the, nearly the level of threat that we were led to expect in the days and months after 9-11. Is terrorism really just almost a boogeyman for the United States, where, yes, it's a threat, but it's not quite as big of a threat as we once thought it was? Are we scaring ourselves more than terrorism should be scaring us? Any time the self-proclaimed Islamic State manages to convince one or two or a half dozen idiots to engage in violence in their name, we consider that we've lost. I don't see it that way. I think that the millions of people who do not follow their injunctions, who do not take up their recruiting call, is a sign that we're winning. Muslim Americans and most Muslims around the world stand against this self-proclaimed Islamic State. That's a sign of strength. But if we focus on every fringe individual or plot and try to reduce those numbers to absolute zero, we'll never succeed. That's a recipe for considering yourself constantly a failure. There are all sorts of acts of violence that occur, unfortunately, in the United States. We have more than 14,000 murders a year each year. Since 9-11, we've had over 220,000 murders in the United States. If we're going to go and focus on, say, two individuals in San Bernardino, California, where it was horrible, went and killed more than a dozen people, that is a, is a terrible tragedy, but it is not a reason to be doubling down on the billions of dollars we spend every year on, on these types of threats. It's not a reason to jettison all of our civil liberties. It's not a reason to, to act afraid because it is such a rare event. I think by focusing on these extremely rare acts of violence, we are indeed holding ourselves hostage to these kinds of threats. 
Thanks for joining us this week, and don't forget to check back next week to unc.edu for the next episode of Well Said.